1: What's up, Bengals fans? It is the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you at a very special time on Wednesday. We've been kind of switching up the times on all of you live listeners a little bit. We apologize. We've had some special interviews, though. Some other things come up, but happy to have you joining us live. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran and his buddy behind him. John, he's got a he's got a new shirt or a, a he changed shirts, did he not? Uh, what, what do we got behind us going on there?
2: Yeah, so Randall's just rocking the uh, the the Joe cigar shirt. You know, I felt like it was. I really had to wash the, the black shirt that's been on him recently. Um, oh, so yeah, I just, he had to just had to change shirts. You know, it's supposed to be spring, <laughs> so like you know, it's supposed to be a, a nice change of pace. But it's freaking snowing in Cincinnati right now. So yeah, what's you know? up with that, man? I, I I've seen some crazy pictures. I was at the Reds game last night, and it said that it was supposed oh, to. Oh, really? It was supposed to rain. You know, it was supposed to be like in the 30s or whatever, and also just starts sleeting. And they, I oh, woke, up and it was like, <laughs> woke up and there's like woke up and there's like at least an inch of snow on the ground. Freaking Toledo, where my girlfriend lives, like they got at least three or four inches of snow, and it's still it's still coming wow. down in, in some some parts. So we're a week away from May, a week away from the draft, and we're we're re-entering winter, which is kind of rare here. Well, stay warm
1: and stay safe, man. That sounds a little treacherous. Uh, it's too too cold for my blood, but. To your point about the NFL draft, that is a week away. We've got a lot going on, a lot to cover. We're going to, on this week's episode, we're going to talk about a couple of draft profiles. We're going to go over the uniform release, what we liked about it. John had an up-close and personal experience with the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to let him talk all about that, share a lot of stuff with that. We've got a state your case. We've got all kinds of different things. And, oh, by the way, next week we've got a special guest already lined up, Joe Goodberry, Bengals favorite, Twitter favorite, NFL draft favorite, will be joining us next Wednesday night as we look to kick off our NFL draft coverage that will be continuing all throughout the weekend, both on this program and on CincyJungle.com. Good to see all the live listeners. Good to uh, be back talking some Bengals. And John, I'm going to give the floor to you because the uniforms were released, new stripes. You were there. You took pictures. You interviewed a lot of people. Tell us about
2: the experience you had and that you wrote about on CincyJungle.com. So what Anthony is referring to is that me and six diehard Bengals fans, some of you may know most of them. Some of you may not. um, We got the chance to go to Paul Brown Stadium on Sunday, the day before the jersey reveal. And just going in chronological order here this process started i think before zach taylor was hired the Bengals uh starting the process of changing their uniforms right it it started i think in late 2018 progressed through the 2019 season during zach taylor's first year and then the uniforms i think were finalized sometime during the 2020 calendar year right so when the, the uniforms were leaked in march you know there was a mixed reaction on twitter like you know I, either i love it or i hate it and or if, if for the people on the negative side like i hope they take this opportunity to make some adjustments based off of the feedback like that was way too late in the process for them to do anything but it was still six weeks before they were ready to reveal them and obviously have them on sale and i talked to emily parker just about that incident and i said did you contact the falcons because The falcons a week before their reveal they had their jerseys leaked as well and she said well we couldn't really do that because we didn't have any of the inventory there for the you know to to sell to the fans so we could have rushed joe burrow in a jersey and did some quick little hype video but it still would have been weeks before people would have been able to get their hands on them so all they could do is just you know try to contact the nfl see what they can do contact anybody who had any information about what to do with the situation And they found out that, you know, the best course of action is just to stay the course, right? Just to acknowledge, but not acknowledge that the leak happened and just wait until April to actually do this thing. And they also looked to Twitter to see what the feedback was. And what they found through like a 12-hour extensive search um, with the help of Warehouse Collaborative who helped them kind of do all the release content, they landed on six uh, Twitter accounts that were promoting the jerseys in a positive fashion, saying, these look good. I, I really like what they're doing here. These are gonna look great on the players. And M- Emily and Elizabeth Blackburn, they took the opportunity to reach out to the six fans and invite them to Paul Barnes Stadium on very ambiguous and mysterious uh, purposes as well. So the six fans were Seth Reese. Some of you may know him. He's the, the, the Photoshop graphic designer guy who had like Photoshopped a bunch of players on the new jerseys before they even released. Willie Lutz, a Columbus-based Bengals writer for last on sports.com and a very avid musician. Uh, Bengals Whitney on Twitter, she's been a longtime Bengals fan. I think she lives in Florida as well. Um, Commissioner Yaz, we had her on the, the pregame show uh, last season. She lives out in California, but she's obviously a beacon of positivity on Bengals' social media. The Bengalorian himself, we all got to see who he is under the mask. It is Pedro Pascal, if you guys are wondering. Does not get helmet hair at all. And obviously, our very own Sim Hude who is based on the East coast. And he, they, they flew out three of those people who don't live in Cincinnati. No one really knew what we were there for, but we knew that the timing aligned for the jerseys. And I was down there uh, requested by Emily to basically cover the whole thing from a media perspective and write about it. And as soon as, you know, they told us that we had to put our phones in these locked lockers and sign these non-disclosure agreements, we kind of already knew what was up. So we got to go on the field. We had to take pictures um, on the field, like you know, throwing a football around. And then we actually got to meet Elizabeth Blackburn who was just standing right outside of where they, they had the jerseys behind this, this curtain. And she like just completely real. Like we, I think Mike Daniel said in, in our last interview, it doesn't take you long to know if someone is real or fake or not. And Elizabeth Blackburn is the real deal in terms of just being a genuine, authentic fan of the team. And someone who does want to engage and interact with this community and with this fan base. And she listened to all of our stories about how we became Bengals fans. And that's when everyone found out why they were there because when the Bengals were, were panicking, entering panic mode, scrambling about what to do with this leak, these were the people that kind of stood up to the process and said, I like what they're doing here and this is gonna be good. And it's unfortunate what happened, but like this, this was a, a great move by them. And they wanted to reward that loyalty and that support for them. And that's when we all got to see the jerseys for the first time. It's when I said, you know what? Screw my journalistic integrity. I'm going to put on the Bengals. I'm going to put on the orange Joe Burrow jersey and (laughs) and post some of these pictures. And that's some of the pictures that you saw on Cincy Jungle. So this happened a day before the jerseys were officially revealed on Monday. And we got to go down there for that and interact with media and, and such. So it was one of the most unique experiences I've had, not only as someone who has been around the Bengals for a long time, but also has covered them now. For the better part of, of five years, and it was a very unique experience, and a, a, unique, a unique opportunity, and something that you know, t- five ten years ago, th- this would not have happened. Not not them releasing jerseys, but interacting, engaging with the fans like this, and showing support for their for their commitment and their support. It, it's something that I think does speak to this whole new stripes mentality that they're they're trying to push. But you know, actions speak louder than words, and this action it, it's something that it goes against what a lot of people's perception and preconceived notions are with the Bengals. And it really did make a statement in a positive way.
1: Here's a, a, some pictures from Zim Hude, uh, also on the Cincy jungle channel, all you guys hanging out, Bangalorian there in the middle of the throne, uh, really cool setup. You know, here's you Zim and I, is that Seth there, uh, with you, uh, yeah. in that picture there? Yeah. Um, so really, really cool experience. I am jealous as hell that you that you were able to do that both from a media perspective and a and a fan perspective. Very cool though. Well represented in terms of the fan base and all of the um, you know, all the people that were represented there. Very, very cool. And I, I guess, you know, there's been a lot of talk of you kind of alluded to it a little bit, John, but there's been a lot of talk of, hey, you know. Things are changing. This has been a big offseason. I was a little surprised to hear that this has been, you know, that long of a development in terms of changing the uniforms, but it's all kind of come together in one offseason in terms of the ring of honor, the uniforms. Obviously they got the, the the high draft pick yet again this year. That should be pretty exciting. Your overall takeaway, I guess, you know, you, you mentioned Elizabeth Blackburn pretty, you know, you, you felt great about her personality and the way the team's being handled. I don't know. I guess just did this, we've been experiencing a Bengals product that has been below average, really, since 2016, right? Uh, did this experience, I know it may make you biased, but did this experience make you say, you know what, this team is actually headed for some good things ahead, even, even if it's just kind of doing something for the fans? Um, your overall impressions in terms of where the team's headed based
2: on this experience? So everything that has happened this off season does coincide with the timing of Elizabeth integrating herself into this new role, and I think that is one of the one of the biggest reasons why we're seeing this all happen. Like I, I can't speak, I, I can't say enough great things about Elizabeth now interacting with her in person and seeing that you know palpable energy that that she has in person. Like she didn't, first of all, she didn't have to interact with us. She didn't have to be there. Like her being there at all was was a surprise to us. We were just there with Emily Parker and a couple of people from warehouse collaborative who again, um, really helped pull pull, put all this, put all this stuff together. So seeing her actually in her meeting us and getting to know us, interacting with us, that was just a plus on its own. And then throughout the rest of the day, she continued to hang out with us shooting the breeze. There's a story. Um, um, I think that Yaz posted on Twitter with, with Zim about like, you know, Zim wanted to see the, the sweatshirt that Elizabeth was wearing. It was like, I, I guess knew he hadn't seen it before and it wasn't in the pro shop or anything. And he said, he, he you know, he jokingly said, you know, can, can I see that? Can I hold that or whatever? Can I try it on? And just, without hesitation, she starts taking the sweatshirt off. She had an undershirt on, so it wasn't like anything scandalous or anything, but she quite literally will give you the shirt off of her back. And that was like 30 seconds also after she caught a fly in the air, but the, the whole Elizabeth like persona, and just the, the, the Aurora like around her, like I think that, that is legit. And you know, uniforms, ring of honor, did they do anything in terms of actually improving the quality of the team remains to be seen. It's it's just nice little tokens, I guess, that fans and the community can hold on to and say yeah, this this franchise is progressing from from that standpoint, and hopefully it'll translate to actual wins, but when you preach culture 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 and change 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 from the previous regime and when you're actually putting those actions in, putting those words into actions and actually seeing a transition from the previous regime i think it does kind of mean something and we talked about this when she put out her mission statement as well but again we had never met her before we barely still even know a lot about her even though she's been in a lot of Bengals media but I think our experience interactions with her and seeing how genuine and authentic she is as a as a Bengals fan as a person who obviously has been an incredible influence within the organization i think that's enough to say that things are indeed changing from that perspective and you know at a certain point things are going to click you know at a certain points luck is going to find them because they are starting to do the right things and that has to that does have to mean something even if the results don't come immediately you should know that things are changing that they are trying a different approach
1: well first of all i want to i want to say great job and and echo a lot of the sentiments in the live chat here for which i i read the write-up i saw what you posted on twitter and just excellent stuff man um truly really really cool stuff i i guess to your point, I want to say that it seems. no, I wasn't. I wasn't there. I didn't have the pleasure of meeting her. But it, it again seems as if the Bengals have strategically placed Elizabeth Blackburn in this position to be a conduit to the fans for a very, very long time. This organization has kind of. I. I, I they. They talk about loving their fans. They know they have a loyal fan base, but there was always this feeling that they kept their fans at an arm's length. Um, And just with a lot of the strategies that they have uh, initiated really over the last couple of seasons, the social media stuff, um, really making Elizabeth kind of a face of the franchise being out there and interacting with a younger generation of fans that, that have big followings and are, are, you know, kind of faces of a rabid fan base. It's, it's really neat to see her kind of be that, that conduit between the fans and the organization. And I could be wrong. I don't really follow the the Atlanta Falcons too heavily. I don't follow the Tampa Bay Buccaneers very heavily. But this seemed like a very unique thing that this organization did in terms of bringing the fan, a, a group of fans in. You kind of called it a focus group you last week when you and I chatted about it briefly. But, you know, it's kind of – when we see these uniforms being unveiled by other teams – it's kind of like, hey, here are the players, here's the uniforms, here's a photo shoot, here it is. This was like a behind the scenes, and then, hey, the fa- these fans were part of our unveiling of these uniforms. They were right there. They were taking pictures. You were there with, you know, the 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 usual media members, the beat writers and whatnot, all all over there. And it just seemed like a very unique thing that not a lot of NFL teams that I have seen. You know, standing back this way, they haven't really done that with their fan base, even if it's a a smaller group of them. I thought
2: that was very unique. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, though. No, that was almost exactly what I was thinking. Like when they did the reveal, like and and just just the whole day prior to that. I, I don't know another franchise that involved their fans as much in this type of content, and would be willing to recognize select fans. Who did have their who did have their back did have their support i, I talked to elizabeth i said do you have a, a certain l- list on twitter of accounts that you just look and and just you know gather information on the fan base and she said no my, my timeline at this point is pretty pretty curated towards Bengals content but you know like like we see you guys out there and, and you know we see the support and and everything that you, that you talk about and when i asked her like how much of, of the fan influence was this these new uniforms about and she said it's the fans and the players that are the two catalysts into bringing all this because obviously the players care about looking good on the field look good play good i think is what joe mixon said but the fans have been you know asking for this for for years now and with with very specific modifications to the uniforms obviously the lack of blockiness on them the lack of the the drop shadow um the 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 implementation of of the, the uniforms looking more like the color rush like all of those like requests in that, and that feedback that went into this multi-year process and to, to just reward the fans um, for that. And, and to give them that experience is something that I think is extremely unique throughout this league. And I, I wrote about this. This is how I closed the article. Like the Bengals don't have the brand of the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, or the Dallas Cowboys. They don't have the market size of the New York Jets and the Chicago Bears. They have to work with what they got. And what they have is this unique, um, community with that's filled with passion and pride of, of their team and for them to leverage that and, and to finally recognize and use that to, to their benefit it's a win-win for both the, the organization and the fans they're kind of finally taking advantage of this undying support for a franchise that has had struggles in the last 30 years and just now recognizing them and, and making them involved in the process now it, it's only it's only a good thing
1: well kudos to you I, I want to, before we talk about some rule changes that just came down the pike on Wednesday um, through through the league, we're going to briefly talk about that. We've got to state your case, and we've got a couple of prospect profiles still to get to, so a lot to get to in just a little bit here. I, I want to ask you, your favorite, uh, up close, which jerseys looked the best to you? Which ones did you prefer? I, I will say I thought the all-black on Sam Hubbard looked pretty awesome. Uh, I thought even the uh, was it the, the was it Ocho or was it Tyler Boyd the orange jersey with the black pants was a pretty cool look and then I thought really a, a unique look that that I don't know how they're going to integrate this one but the Joe Mixon one the white jersey with the black pants I thought that was really neat as well um, what, what as you were there in person seeing these things I have not been able to do that either. Uh, I probably will be ordering one at some point, but uh, what what is you know, when what grabbed you when you saw those things?
2: So seeing all seven combinations in person on mannequins, like there there was not none like looked bad to me, which was which is yeah. obviously a great, which is obviously a good thing. Like you have seven combinations. I think all of them work uniquely to to their own strengths and, and their aesthetic. Um, I was surprised seeing the orange stripes on the on the white pants. I thought that was something that I didn't really expect, but I think it does work well with the orange and black jerseys because the orange jerseys, the orange jerseys have, like, the white numbers with the black outline. You can kind of see that consistency on the on the pants with their stripes, and obviously the black jerseys have orange stripes. So, like, there, there is consistency aesthetically, which I always value in uniform. So I, I wasn't, in theory, the biggest fan of, of orange stripes on a white background, but I think it does work for the uniforms. And I did not expect the, the white and black pants to work with the black jersey, which is, I think, what T. Higgins was, was modeling. But that just works really well, and I think it's going to mm-hmm. work well in the field. So there, there's none that look bad. They, they only all look good, and I find it difficult trying trying to rank them. But I've always been partial towards the orange jerseys, and now they finally mm-hmm. just have black stripes that match the helmet. I just think that looks – so clean to me and i think with with the creamsicle look with the orange stripes going down and also like the halloween look which i think scott bantle of Cincy jungle likes to call them i I think that they look so improved compared to the the last generation like the black on black the white on white they they were going to look good based off of what they were going to do but i was really interested to see how the orange jerseys would look and i think they look much improved from the last generation which is always good for me because i was always partial to those orange jerseys
1: yeah, they, they simplified things. I'm looking on the Bengals Pro Shop because our good friend and podcasting guru, Nick Superling, said, uh, I'll pull up the comment here, which color jersey should I get? And also probably what uh, we kind of talked about that. I mean, really, any, you can't really go wrong with much. Um, which, which player? I, I'm looking on the Pro Shop. I don't know if you can customize any yet. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, and and it looks as if Jesse Bates. You had mentioned that Jesse Bates will be available later. I, I think I always think it's a safe bet to get a a player who's under contract for a few years. You know, you got Tyler Boyd, you got Joe Mixon, you got Joe Burrow. I mean, those are guys. T Higgins. Those are guys that are. Ostensibly going to be sticking around for a while, so um, I mean, those are safe bets. Uh, I, I would, I would probably personally go Boyd or Higgins. I think, but what about you? What do you, do you have a jersey
2: that you're maybe thinking of? Did you take the Burrow one? I forget. So I, I was able to get a, a Joe Burrow uh, jersey on a discount, and I gave it to um, a, a family friend of ours who really got me into just the Bengals in general. So I felt like That's that awesome. was that was something that I, I felt I needed to do because I wouldn't have been there in Paul Stadium without without that family and them bringing me up as as someone involved with, with the Bengals but I think it was there's was a reason why they chose the players that they did to model them like Sam Hubbard and Jesse Bates they're playing in a contract year even though they're gonna quote unquote I mean they're gonna get extensions right, right. Like they know that they're, they're core players and they're not going anywhere but interesting though because Jesse Bates um, I think tweeted out on Twitter that he might be thinking of a number change a number change because of a new rule change that just happened
1: Look at you. King of the segue. I absolutely love it. Well, we'll, we'll talk about these rule changes here. Hopefully, if you, if you guys have jerseys, we'd love to we'd love to see it and we'd love to hear about it. But go get yours. I'm going to be getting some of my own here. Uh, really, I think all of them look pretty good. And he, I, I put this out there. I, I think even casually dressing, you know, I'm not a big jersey guy when I wear, you know, I don't wear a jersey randomly out, but I think that these, because they simplified them so, and they look so clean and nice, um you know i think you can kind of casually wear these a little more frequently than the I last feel a months.
2: lot more like like actual t-shirts I mean, yeah like putting them on which like th- that was always my complaint because the nfl jerseys used to be like the most unwearable of all the professional <laughs> sports <laughs> yeah. like jerseys but now these do feel like actual shirts which i think is the definite plus
1: yeah a little more a little more stylish well let's get to the nfl rule changes before we do just once again john great job on on covering that event go go Check out CincyJungle.com and the post that John put up. There are a lot of pictures, a lot of quotes, a lot of cool things to break down the experience. And great job covering the event, John. And I'm glad you had a good time with, with a lot of people that we have come to know and love in Bengals Nation. So the rule changes, I, I, there, there's been a couple through the league here. Um, one of which is the, you mentioned it, I guess we could start there, the jersey. Um, the Jersey change. Do you want to talk about that one? And we'll start
2: there. Right. So the Kansas city chiefs proposed a rule change, allowing uh, certain position groups to now have more number options. Specifically um, it's not just quarterbacks and specialists who can be single digit numbers anymore. Defensive backs, running backs, uh, fullbacks, tight ends and wide receivers can all be numbers one through nine. Actually. Like I think, most of the, most of those players can now be one through 49. So you can have theoretically receivers wearing like 32 or something like that. And tight ends w- wearing something in the twenties, which is very similar to what it is in college. But you know, at this, it, like, I don't know why it was never a, I don't know why this was a really rule in the first place. Um, I, I think there was just more strict, stricter guidelines with, you know, certain position groups having only a certain amount of jerseys. I think with in college, your your rosters are just bigger, so you just have to have that flexibility. But um, you know, nowadays the NFL has you know fifty three players on a roster and t- ten or twelve players in the practice squad, so it's not that much of a difference in roster size. But there is just now more freedom for some of those more prominent players to feature numbers that they wore in college. I think Derek Henry might go back to number two for the Titans. You have Tyreek Hill for the Chiefs who might go back to to number one or something like that. And now you have potential you know rookies quote-unquote, for the Bengals being single digits. And also, Jesse Bates, I believe he was number three Wake Forest, and I think he tweeted out that he would like to change from 30 to three. So before you get that Jesse Bates jersey, before you have your eyes on it, (laughs) just just, just watch out for that. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I'm looking here at ESPN.com as well to a a nice rundown of the – Uh, Some more rules here. Uh, uh, The owners approved a relaxation of rules for the numbers that players of certain positions can wear, like you said, because of expanded practice squads. Um, And then a one year experiment in an attempt to make it easier to recover onside kicks in 2021, the receiving team on kickoffs will be limited to nine players within 25 yards of the ball. Last season, NFL teams recovered only three of 67 onside kicks, the lowest total and recovery rate since at least 2001. And this was a proposal by the Philadelphia Eagles, um, in which they said that teams be given an option to gain 15 yards on one offensive play from their own 25 yard line to retain possession after the score. I think that this is just kind of a push by the league and by certain teams to kind of make games a little more exciting at the end, you know, maybe, you know, at a flurry of scoring so that if a team kind of has those quote unquote garbage points, maybe they won't be so much garbage. There'll be a little more substance to them because of the onside kick change. I don't know, but that was an interesting one I
2: thought as well. Well, they had the rule change from a couple of years ago where like eliminated players running up towards the kickoffs and that kind of, and I think there was something else in terms of like where the ball is kicked and how many, uh, players you can have uh like within a certain amount of yards of the ball but basically like negated the usefulness of onside kicks it used to be a very exciting uh play in in football with, with always there's always a chance i guess of something happening but unless you have a situation like the atlanta falcons and they just forget the rules and don't pick up the ball like it was just it was just hard for just teams to to gain the recovery so i, I guess this is a fine step forward i would have liked to see them actually recognize the 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 onside kick or or eliminate the onside kick in, in general and just have that that fourth and 15 type play which I, I don't i think it was the chiefs who also proposed that from like a year ago or maybe even this year or instead of that onside kick it's literally a, a fourth down play that, that you if you obviously can get to keep the ball but anything that basically you know eliminates more kickoffs i think is is good for the sport in general
1: There are, I mean, some that really don't, I mean, eliminated overtime in preseason games. Uh, So this is, this one's kind of interesting change rule that uh, changed a rule that will now force a loss of down if two passes are completed behind the line of scrimmage. So I guess that uh, if you're really trying to be real, real tricky there, um, they're, they're making, they're clamping down on that. It sounds like.
2: Interesting. So uh, I heard someone said like the 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 two pass passes, but I didn't know it was going to be like um, restricting it. So that that's that's actually interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tabled a rule that would have expanded
1: the area where players are prohibited from blocking below the waist. So that's that's still yet to be uh, discussed down the road. Uh, approved a rule change that ensures the enforcement of all accepted penalties during successive try attempts defined as an opportunity for a team to score one or two additional points during one scrimmage down, um, did not act on a spot or choose proposal from the Ravens for the winner of the overtime coin toss. In that scenario, the team would have the option to choose either, uh, which team will have the first possession of overtime or where the ball would be spotted. Um, interesting proposal there. Uh, Decided to include the taunting among its points of emphasis for 21. Um, clarified that the emphasis wouldn't be directed at celebrations, but toward acrimonious interaction among players. I, I guess, I mean, there's not too much to say there other than if you remember, I, I felt last year uh, against the Steelers, there was a pretty weak Mackenzie Alexander uh, taunting call that was called. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're going to get real flag happy on, on that sort of instance, but um, something to note there. Anything else before we move on, here? anything else I'm missing, John?
2: I don't even. I didn't even know that there was overtime in preseason games to begin with. That just sounds like <laughs> a little hell. So kudos to them for getting rid of that. But also, like I think, not only the Mackenzie Alexander high step, which is still a, a legendary moment in Bengals history, regardless of the flag <laughs> or not. I, I think that that was also that that rule change was pointed towards. I think it was the Ravens. Um, who, like, danced on the Titans logo after the Titans threw the, the game losing interception or something like that. Just And that was, like, revenge yeah. for the Titans to them earlier in the year. Like, I, I don't think it's going to stop people from doing it. They're going to take the fine. They're going to take the penalty if the, if the game is, is out of hands. Like, it's just something that the league can say, yeah, we don't want this part of the game. But, like, when the opportunity is ripe, there's no way players aren't, aren't still going to do stuff like that.
1: And I wonder to your point about, you know, the dancing on, you know, whatever that, you know, logos, Juju Smith Schuster, you know, even pregame stuff. I don't know if that, if they're going to keep their eye on that. I know that's not in game, but I wonder if that's going to be monitored and, and be penalized. But interesting stuff. I mean, I know some of these things may be minor, but um, some interesting stuff, and some of which are sounds like it's going to be on an experimental basis so we'll kind of see how all of this works out and um, but we wanted to get everybody apprised of some of the rule changes that literally came came through Wednesday afternoon so we wanted to get everybody uh, on board with that. Before we get to our state your case we would be remiss if we did not say it was presented by symbol and if you have not acted upon The great partnership that we have created with Symbol, I urge you to do so. I'm going to let John talk to you a little bit more about that great company and what they're doing for our listeners. But Symbol, we are appreciative of their partnership. John, tell us a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah, so Symbol, if you guys don't already know, is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams just like stocks. And if it sounds that easy, I promise you that it is that easy. You go to their app, you go to their website, you have a whole market list of professional teams. They're currently set at a certain price and depending on if the team does good or bad over a long-term timeline, that price either goes up or goes down. So you guys all know which teams are good, which teams are bad. And Symbol gives you a way to earn money off of that knowledge without the high fees and high losses of gambling. It's not gambling, it's more of investing. And you can use that knowledge to profit off of it. So you can use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high and earn cash payouts when your teams win you can join the 2000 plus early adopters who have already started to invest in their favorite teams and you can do so by visiting www.symbol.app. that's www.s-i-m-b-u-l-l.app, and you can visit symbol.app backslash OPI to create a free account and when you deposit, you can use the promo code OBI for a $10 deposit bonus. The symbol Bengals, that, that stock price is currently in the 20 to $25 range and after they draft someone in the first round, that price is probably gonna go up. So you wanna make sure that you buy low right now before that price goes up a little bit. And then keep an eye on it during the season, if the Bengals end up doing well during the season, that price is even gonna go up. So you can profit off of the Bengals potential success this year and you can do so by visiting symbol.app backslash OBI, enter the promo code OBI for a $10 deposit bonus. Take advantage
1: of that deposit bonus because hopefully, that, well, I mean, hopefully for those who have not, uh, who who have already invested in the Bengals, hopefully that that price will be going up there with what the Bengals do in a week because of their draft class and that their stock through the symbol metrics will be going up there. But take advantage, get the free $10 by using the promo code OBI. Thanks, John. Appreciate you doing that. And with that, we are going to get to our state your case this week. It's going to be a weird one, but let's get to it. A lot of talk with the draft about the Bengals and Panay Sewell. And with that, I mean, I know there are a lot of people that are now in their camps, right? Team Chase, Team Sewell, good reasons for either. I created, I guess, a little bit of a stir today by a tweet I put out. And I didn't, I, I don't know. Uh, go check that out. If oh, you, you know. I know, I know. But uh, I know. Do you like how I played innocent there? Um, <laughs> but look, uh, and this isn't a good reason. I, I was kind of going down this train of thought a little bit earlier. This isn't a good good reason necessarily for the Bengals to draft Panay Sewell at number five, or maybe they're able to move back, get some picks and, and grab him a couple of picks later. Who knows? I, I'd be interested next week to talk to Joe Goodberry because I saw that he said something. It, it, he If the Bengals don't take him at five, it would be interesting to see if Sewell gets somehow out of the top 10 because there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks taken within the top five, top 10 there. You now have the dolphins who drafted Austin Jackson. I think it was last year. They just picked up DJ Fluker to bolster their offensive line. Does that mean they're out of the offensive line running? Um, a lot of people think they're going to get a wide receiver with, with their topic. Uh, where are they? Number six right now they're trying to move out of, of number six. So, um, interesting set of scenarios. I will say this, and this is what worries me if the Bengals do not take Pene Sewell. Again, not a good reason for the Bengals to take him, but this is what worries me if they pass on him. I think Pene Sewell is a great fit and could very well land somehow in the AFC North. Now that sounds like a reach given where the Browns pick, given where the Ravens pick, given where the Steelers pick, but I think let's start with the player himself. I, I, I think just the athleticism, the nastiness, the size, uh, the ability in pass pro, and the willingness in run blocking. I think I think that fits this division nicely. And I think that the one where I question in terms of the the fit, the scheme fit, is Baltimore because uh, you know Oregon, especially with with Herbert, kind of was a little bit more. I mean, they did some RPO stuff, but. I mean, there's a lot of drop back passing and whatnot. Herbert is a, is a bit of a different quarterback. He is mobile. He scrambles, but he's not a Lamar Jackson in terms of uh, that kind of weapon with his legs. So that one I question a little bit. But look, they have, they have questions on their offensive line. Ronnie Stanley's a great player, but he's had injury issues. And then you've got Orlando Brown, who now uh, wants out. He either wants to play left tackle and get paid like one, or he wants out of Baltimore. So they have questions there. The Pittsburgh Steelers are potentially losing uh, Alejandro Villanueva. I, don't, I know he was visiting the Ravens. I don't know if there, there was a deal struck there, um, but they are losing him. They lost Matt Filer. They've got some issues on the offensive line, which sounds weird to say, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Cleveland Browns seem pretty set. They have a very good offensive line, but they like to run the football. They like to run play action, and it seems as if Sewell will be a good fit there. I I guess my point is, is there, there are a lot of different AFC North options. They would have to give up quite a bit to move up to get a guy like Sewell based on where they currently are at. The Browns have nine picks to play with this year. Ravens only have six and the Steelers have seven. But I go back, and I I particularly worry about the Steelers and Sewell if Sewell somehow starts sniffing that outside of the, the number 10 range, if the Bengals pass on him and somehow he just keeps sliding. Maybe someone grabs a Rashawn Slater instead of him. If you remember two years ago when the Bengals sat at number 11 overall and drafted Jonah Williams, the Steelers, who were at, I believe, number 20, which is somewhere around the range that they're at right now, They leapfrogged the Bengals to number 10, traded quite a bit of picks, including their second-round pick that year and I think a third-round pick the year after to get up to number 10 and take Devin Bush, a guy that they knew that the Cincinnati Bengals probably wanted and liked a lot. There is a a possibility, even with seven picks, if they see a guy like Sewell, they are wanting to improve that offensive line. If they see a guy like Sewell go up and, and get towards that number 10, they could leapfrog and get up there and get a guy like that, even if it means sacrificing some picks. That worries me. I know it's not a good reason for the Bengals to draft a player like Sewell, but I have a very big fear that somehow he is going to be in the AFC North and he will be a monster that the Bengals will have to face twice a year.
2: So let's start with that then, because I know, like you mentioned the Browns, but i is there even an opening on the offensive line that – he could actually like take. You have Jedrick Wills, Joel Baitonio, J.C. Treader, Wyatt Teller, Jack Conklin. Like I'm not sure if Sewell would even. I'm not even sure if he would start on the offensive line. So I just, I, I'm not entirely sure if the Browns would would even be in play to trade up with with him. Um, the Ravens, I think that they would be interested if he was in a in an area where they could trade up because of that uncertainty with Orlando Brown. I don't think Sewell would have as much of a gripe right, playing right tackle whenever Ronnie Stanley gets back Steelers. I agree. would be, would be the team to worry about here. I don't think they really care about, you know, accumulating draft capital They've obviously shown to be fine, sacrificing it for elite talents. And I think, I think um, there was a report that they were locked in on a few players and two of them were offensive linemen. One of them, including Tevin Jenkins and also Nadia Harris, the running back out of Alabama. So it seems like they are, targeting an offensive player that would help them in the, in the run game. So Pittsburgh would be the team to watch out for, but, but I want to go back to the other point w- with those three teams. Yes. I think Sewell fits what, what they like and what their identity is. And I guess that's three, fourths of the AFC North. So you could make the statement that Panay Sewell is perfect for the AFC North, but I'm not sure if, if that's even like, I don't, I don't want to say relevant, but I, like, I don't, I don't see any of those three teams competing with the Chiefs or the Bills, and I think I think those three teams are like what you have to overcome to get to the Super Bowl. Like those those two teams are going to be running this conference for a long time. And I know the Browns get really close, but the Browns weren't able to beat the Chiefs, not necessarily because of their defense. They weren't able to just take advantage of scoring on the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs in that in that AFC uh, divisional game, like they obviously had Mahomes getting injured, and they had they left the door open for the Browns to just outscore them and they couldn't do it because they just didn't have the, the explosive offense to really do anything. They had Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both healthy. They had an the offensive line healthy, but all that physical football didn't really do much and only scored 17 points against the chiefs. So this division in itself, people like to look at it as, as the one goal to win the division. Cause so that's what Marvin Lewis always touted when the Bengals were relevant in the mid and two in the mid two thousands and the 2010s. But I've, I think I'm just trying to th- look bigger than that. I don't really care about fitting the mold of the AFC North. I'm trying to think bigger and trying to think about how am I going to beat the Chiefs, right? Like obviously a great offense line can keep you competitive with those teams as we just saw with Cleveland. And maybe that is what you need to eventually get to that point to solve the next issue. But while Panay will would be perfect for those three teams, I think for what the Bengals want to be a team that spreads it out and runs very uh, offense very similar to that to LSU Penesu will be nice, but he's not necessary. He's not necessary to win this division. You can try to win the division, the old fashioned way, which is what they did 2009 when they just ran Cedric Benson into the dirt behind that (laughs) offensive line. But I think with where they're set up right now with the personnel they have, they can fast track it another way in a more advanced way, but also a way that can keep them competitive against the bills and against the chiefs. And I think to, to really reference the Avengers here, that's the end game, right? Like the, Getting out of the, the, the getting out of the, of the getting out of a division is one thing, but getting out of the AFC entirely—that's a whole other thing. That should be realistically the goal with this regime. Like winning the division is nice and competing with the division is nice, but competing for Super Bowls—that's that, a whole other thing. And I think that takes more than just bolstering the offensive line, running the ball.
1: I agree with you. I I guess I just look at it a little bit as if you're going to get through the AFC, you. Inevit- even if it's you know getting past Kansas City in that AFC Championship game every year, you are inevitably on, on your in your path going to need to get past a Baltimore and or a Pittsburgh, maybe even now Cleveland, based on how they have their teams built. You're going to need to get past those teams, and you know traditionally Baltimore and Pittsburgh usually have very good offensive lines. That's how they build their football teams. I guess I have seen. Just you know, a, a lot of Bengals football, and especially lately, it, it gets tiresome to see their offensive line perform that the way it has. I, again, this saying Sewell is is potentially good for these other teams isn't a rally cry or even a good reason for the Bengals to um, to draft him at number five per se. And maybe that isn't a relevant discussion. It was just something that kind of came to mind. But I will say this: that. What what is relevant is you know the Bengals have unfortunately been in the position where they've had to keep up with the Joneses so to speak in terms of the AFC North they they have to kind of play a chess game with what these teams do in the draft and free agency and if the Bengals do get do decide to take Jamar Chase bypass Panay Sewell Sewell goes to a Baltimore a Cleveland a Pittsburgh they're gonna need to do more on the on the defensive front and and off the edge to potentially battle that because if Sewell becomes who we all think he very well could be, um, that's going to be a problem for the Bengals going forward if they have
2: to face him twice a year. I think you just n- nailed the head on this discussion, right? The Bengals can, they can play chess w- with the rest of the teams in the division. They can, they can try to catch up because unfortunately that's, that's what they've had to do for the past three years, right? It's, there's no question that the three other teams have already passed them or have remained past them for several years. For several years now and the Bengals can try to catch up to get on their level or they can try to play checkers and try to win in a different way and obviously that still requires a defense a decent offensive line to to do whatever they want to do but it really it really does come down to, the, to that philosophical discussion do you do you want to win like the rest of the AFC North and try to win at their game or do you want to try to win at a different game a game that those teams are ready to combat and that's obviously risky because you're not sure if it's going to work, especially in this division, to get out of this division. But if it does work, it could be something that's completely unstoppable and not even their offensive lines and their defense can be able to counter it. Well,
1: we'll see what happens with the NFL draft and what happens with Panay Sewell. Maybe maybe this is all a moot point and he doesn't end up being the player that uh, we, we think that he's going to be. Maybe he ends up. Uh, in the small percentage that it seems now with the Cincinnati Bengals and Jamar Chase does not. But I I think I just had this sneaking suspicion over the past day or so that I said, you know, if the Bengals bypass taking Panay Sewell, I can see, I could potentially see with uh, some degree of likelihood, a Pittsburgh, a Baltimore moving up, sacrificing some capital to get a guy to bolster their offensive lines and, and continue to, to build their identity that way which they traditionally have done so we'll see what happens definitely a player to keep an eye on but good chat this week in terms of the state your case thanks john we're going to get to some prospect profiles but that was this week's state your case Before we get to a prospect profile, we have two on tap, but I think we may save one just for the sake of time, depending here. We'll, we'll see, and I'm going to let my partner go first. Just want to remind everybody to subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, whether it's our show you dig, Orange is the New Black, Matt Minix Chalk Talk, hopefully all of the above. Subscribe, leave a review, that helps us out. We appreciate all the support. We've continued to see some growth again this year as as a podcast channel and for this specific show. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all the major audio platforms. You can always subscribe to our YouTube channel, get some content that not only is our has our live shows and all that kind of stuff, but other extra content that we put up there. So check that out. We
2: appreciate all the support. So this is the first time I've done a, a draft profile in a couple weeks. And last... Last week I did a stage of case about, you know, the Bengals potentially being interested in more smaller school guys, guys without, you know, the illustrious pedigree. I'm doing a 180 this week. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying to just ignore what I said last week, but I want to go back to, you know, what we can more expect the Bengals to do based off of their, their past one. Now I'm going to highlight offensive, wow, Ohio State offensive lineman Wyatt Davis. And he just screams Bengal to me for the obvious reasons, you know, background. He was a consensus five-star recruit out of California. Like, I think he was the top guard coming out of that 2017 class that had Jeff Okuda, uh, Chase Young, who also went to Ohio State. So he was being touted, I think, by uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, Alabama. They were all recruiting him. I think Urban Meyer kind of swept in at the end to basically say come come join the Buckeyes, and and that's exactly what he did. So he was more of a – I think he was a bench player – in his freshman year in 2018, I think he started two games that season. So the 2019 is like true sophomore year. That was the first year that that he did start, and that really did put him on the on the map on the NFL radar. I think PFF had him like, one of the highest graded offensive linemen in 2019, which is also when Panay Sewell you know, took college football by storm that season. And that's where we saw the best of Wyatt Davis. And then last year in 2020, when no one was sure if the Big Ten was even going to play football, you know. Unfortunately, it wasn't the greatest year for White Davis because not only was the whole season kind of a mess, Ohio State barely even played six games that season, he also dealt with uh, COVID himself, and I think that did make an impact on how he finished the season. So he didn't exactly look like the five-star player that he was coming out of high school. He didn't look like the the true sophomore starter that really uh, earned that All-American status. So he didn't play at his best in 2020, and unfortunately, he did end the season suffering what looked like a scary knee injury against Alabama in the national championship. But um, at at his pro day, he did not work out, but he said that he was doing fine and he's like 100% ready to go for whenever NFL camp starts. So there is no issue. There's no Billy Price type of thing with this where he's potentially going to miss time. And I think that's also like a name that people are going to come to. Like, are the Bengals really going to take another offensive lineman from Ohio State high in the draft? Like, is that something that they should avoid? That's unfortunately another case of helmet scouting. Why Davis is not anything like Billy Price for a lot of reasons. And I'll just get to just the, really the four that I think you can want to highlight with why Davis, what he does well. He gets out of stance extremely quickly with no wasted movement. This guy is a natural athlete. We did not get to see him test, but in terms of just fitting in seamlessly in a zone blocking scheme as a guy who can just reach nose tackles and defensive tackles, you know, just. A couple of gaps away he can absolutely do that he's not an insane athlete and i don't think he would have tested like an insane athlete but there is no wasted movement getting out of the sets and i think that's going to be important for a frank pollock wide, wide zone scheme he stays low and he rolls his hips through contact and that's when he does engage in those zone blocks he plays with great leverage and by rolling his hips he's able to redistribute some of that power on the contact onto the onto the opposing player and he finishes guys like he, he takes guys to the dirt so to have that athleticism and that scheme versatility, but also having that nastiness—that's obviously a plus for an offensive line coach like Frank Pollock. And in pass protection, he's one of the most proficient and technically advanced twenty-two-year-olds that you will see coming into the NFL because he has the ability to use independent hands. And what independent hands are is, you know, some some guys. I think Liam Eichenberg and the Notre Dame, Dame guys—they always have these two-handed punches, and that's just what they—that's just what they teach, and it's, it's powerful but it can also lead you to trouble because guys can easily counter that. Having independent hands means that you can have your hands in multiple strike points and you're able to counter edge rushers really quickly. You're able to use your hands independently. So you can use your right hand high, your left hand low, and you're able to you know use whatever leverage you have in pass protection to keep guys at bay. So he already has a great understanding of using his hands in pass protection. I guess if you want to talk about weaknesses with Wyatt, there was issues in identifying stunts and, and twist and, and pass protection needed to get end up getting on the ground a couple times with some, mis- with, with some mis- with, with some miscommunications, excuse me. But he was also, that was also just a second year starter starting and he's still a really young player, but entering the 2020 season, he was projected to be a first round pick and unfortunately everything that happened in 2020, I think Matt Miller of the DraftScout.com said that there was possibility that he could potentially slide, into the fourth round of this draft, just because he dealt with COVID. He didn't put up the best tape in 2020 and he's coming off of an injury now. So I don't know if he lasts that long, but I think if there is enough talk with that, there's a definite possibility that he can slide into round three. And I think if the Bengals are sitting there, regardless of what they did in the first two rounds, if they're staring in the face, a two year starter at right guard, who is already incredibly proficient in his technique, it has the athleticism, has the experience to do the concepts that they want, I think why Davis can come in immediately and start at their most important position of need on the offensive line. He has the pedigree. He has, a, he has, talking about bloodlines. His grandfather was Willie Davis, who was a Hall of Fame NFL player in the 1960s. Both his dad and his brother played at the college level. So he's been bred for this since day one, since he's been alive. I think they, they're going to really like his background. Obviously, he played, you know, an hour and a half northeast of Cincinnati and Ohio State. I think they're going to like his ability to come in immediately play at the position that they need the most to have that background to have that five-star pedigree to be able to find him in the third round i think they're it's gonna be hard for them to pass that up
1: well i i don't want to sound like a dummy and and just pretend like like i've watched a lot of this kid unfortunately i have not um but you know a lot of the things that you are saying are are some of the the are, are resonating with me because i those are echoing some sentiments I have seen before. I guess I, I, I want to use this opportunity to kind of ask you some questions and maybe put you on the spot about this kid, if you don't mind, John. Um, and I think when you say interior offensive lineman, Ohio State, a lot of talent, and you're talking Cincinnati Bengals, immediately the conversation shifts to, well, what about Michael Jordan and Billy Price and why is right. this guy different? Um, you know, similar schemes, obviously, because we're talking about real recent history with those other two names. So I guess, you know, for the for the Bengal fan out there, um, and I know a lot of Bengals fans are Ohio State fans, I guess for the Bengal fans out there that have seen the struggles from both Michael Jordan and Billy Price that had high hopes there. And, you know, you're talking about Wyatt Davis, an inconsistent 2020. What makes him different and or more promising for the Cincinnati Bengals than those
2: two just offhand? Well, again, like if he went to Notre Dame or Alabama, who were both in the process of recruiting him, I think there might be a different perception about him. He comes from a, a program that is more accustomed to producing quality NFL offensive linemen, but he chose to go to Ohio State, and like it, him going to Ohio State did not make him a classic traditional Ohio State offensive lineman who ended up being extremely overhyped. Like Wyatt Davis is by far just looking at him and him alone and independently he's by far a better player than Billy Price and Michael Jordan ever were at Ohio State. Now like why never played center so he'd ever got in the conversation for the Remington Award, which is, I think thing Billy Price won and I don't even know if Michael Jordan won, but maybe he was in consideration as well. but he you know that was never really a thing for him. Billy Price, you know was a, a high school defensive tackle, a really scrappy dude who didn't have like size and length on his size uh, on his side and he just had to work with what he had. and he always had those limitations that would eventually catch up to him in the NFL. Like, Wyatt Davis is 34-inch arms. I think 33 and, like, 7-8 is the official designation there. 6'4", 3'15". So he's not, you know, skinny and, and lanky and tall like Michael Jordan. He uh, Like, Jordan has tremendous issues with just playing with proper pad level and, and getting under pads and playing with leverage. That's not an issue with Wyatt Davis. I think Pro Football Focus um, declared that his top strength is balance, which is obviously the opposite of Billy Price. I think they compared him to Kevin Zeitler, which in terms of just – being a right guard like there's there's something more that you could want for at least especially from the Bengals perspective they already know who kevin zeidler is so if they're able to draft a player who projects like kevin zeidler in the third round that's already so much better than taking billy price in the first round and even taking michael jordan as a flyer in the fourth round like michael jordan was never supposed to start in his rookie season and and i think that unfortunately did not do him any favors and put him more or less where he is today White davis was a more talented player coming into Ohio State as a five star recruit as the best guard out of that class and the guy who has the body type and the size, the strength and athleticism to actually be a quality NFL player.
1: Does he start right away for the Bengals, you think? If if that's if that's the pick. Let's say for instance they get let's let's say for the sake of argument, he is their first off Wyatt Davis is the first offensive lineman that the Bengals take in this year's draft does that do you think that makes him an automatic starter at the right guard position day one or do you think they'll kind of slowly move him along based on kind of what you talked about with the the struggles with the other two namely mike jordan being thrown into the mix right away as a starter
2: i think if he's the first offensive lineman that they take he would almost be taken in the second round right and if they take him in the second round Absolutely, he would start. He's but good, if they, yeah, yeah if, if if they wait until the third round to take an offense lineman it's Wyatt Davis, then there would still be that that confidence that you believe that they would have in him that he would he would be the starter, if not the front runner to start. Right. So, like ideally, Wyatt Davis is maybe the second offense lineman that they take if he lasts into the third and fourth round, which is apparently a very real possibility. Like no one really, no no one really knew what this guy's draft stock was after that injury. Like he was you know, loosely touted as a first round player because of that 2019 season. And I think that that hype has kind of died down because teams really value the most recent tape that you have. And if you don't put up your best performance as you enter the NFL, there's going to be some questions about, you know, this guy regressed, is he going to continue to regress into the NFL? But if you pair him up with a quality offensive line coach and a scheme that that benefits him, I think you can project him to be the player that the good player that he was in when he was in college. So if they take him in the second or third round as the first offensive lineman to take, I would say that he's the safe bet to start a right guard.
1: Okay. Chances you think the Bengals go that route, the Wyatt Davis route? Do you think they shy away based on their couple of issues with Ohio State offensive linemen? do you think they say, I don't, know, I don't really care about that. I mean, this kid can play. Uh, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think this kid's kind of high up on their draft board? Just your own intuition there, or or do you think they're looking maybe elsewhere?
2: Well, I, I bet they're gonna they're gonna value like the opinion of, of Mike Jordan, who uh, played with him in 2018. So they, they had that kind of in in terms of getting to know him on the personal side. Um, but if there is this talk about you know the NFL might not be as high on him as as certain media is, I don't think that they would take him at the top of the second round. I think if he would have tested and there would be more confidence in what he did last year, then yeah, I think he would be a second round target. But I think when the third round comes around, regardless of what they do in the first two rounds, like you, you, you can make a safe bet that they're going to double dip at offensive line, especially if they don't take one in the first round. So if they go offensive line at 38 and then they swing back around at 69, it could be very possible that Y Davis is their best player available. And if they don't take him there and he's still there in the fourth round, you could like basically put that in Sharpie that they would absolutely consider him there.
1: Well, Good stuff, John.
2: I, I just kind
1: of hit cruise control and let you do your your smart guy thing. Uh, I, I appreciate all the insight on Wyatt Davis, an interior offensive lineman, namely right guard out of Ohio State for this week's prospect profile. We had another one on tap, but we're going long, so we will save that either for next week or maybe a, a special little video there. We're going to kind of get to a couple more as the draft is oh so close. But good stuff. Wyatt Davis undoubtedly is going to be uh, one of the names talked about inside and outside of Paul Brown stadium walls. Let's drop the mic and get out of here. We're, we're about an hour in John, this thing flew by, but uh, what do you got for us before we hop on out of here?
2: Um, I have nothing really of importance to say. Um, I I know that this is like our, our whole schedules have been kind of a little out of sorts this month, but that's really what the off season is. You just got to be flexible with some of these things. You got people interviewing and you're always going to take that opportunity, but just like, you know, if you could call down the Paul Brown Stadium for something very ambiguous, what the hell, I'm going to be the only reporter there. This is going to be great. So, you know, it's been it's been another kind of interesting offseason as we're still dealing with with COVID. But it's been nice that the Bengals have been very unique in, in their history and giving us unique opportunities. But I'm I'm going to pick up the mic and give it to you so you can drop it.
1: Well, again, I just want to say good, good stuff from you covering the covering the event, dude. Um, That was that was really, really neat. And I'm I'm glad you were able to be a part of that. I don't have much else. I'm just going to wish my sister a happy birthday. Today is her birthday. So happy birthday, Lisa. John, thanks for everything, man. You uh, you carried us this week, as you usually do every week. You carry us, buddy. Uh, thanks for everything, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Whether you joined us live, if you were unable to join us live because of the time change or what have you, get the show on one of the platforms. We appreciate all the support. We're going to be – we saw a question before we get out of here. We saw one question about what we're going to be doing next week for draft. We're going to be having a Wednesday show. We think we're going to be doing – uh, a live stream of the draft up until the Bengals pick at number five or something like that. We're still kind of hashing that out. And then I know ourselves and the other guys on, in terms of the podcast uh, channel, they'll be, we'll be doing all kinds of different stuff as well. So uh, keep it to the channel, keep it to com. We're going to get out of here. Thanks everybody. Take it easy.